0: This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. All are welcome. We're glad you found us. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. To eat better, get healthy, and help animals. Welcome to Main Street Vegan with your host, Victoria Moran.
1: Ever since I moved to New York City 19 years ago, I've always thought that spring came too late. I'm used to a warm, sunny April. And you know what? This year I'm getting one. And it just reminds me that waking up, Sometimes happens slowly and sometimes it happens right on time. And I feel that so many people are waking up to so many issues that are really, really important to everybody interested in listening to this program. The idea of expanding our circle of compassion to include all that has life and to act in accordance with those principles. More and more people are doing it every day. The latest one I read about is Simon Cowell. Oh my gosh, if Simon Cowell can go vegan, there is hope for the world. Hi, I'm Victoria Moran, your host for the Main Street Vegan program. It is such a pleasure to have all of you with us today. We have a couple of interesting guests on a couple of interesting topics. You know, we sometimes hear it said, oh, vegans, they just get so caught up with being vegan, that all they can talk about is what they're cooking and what they're eating. But you know what? Vegans tend to be very, very interested in lots and lots of issues. And we're going to be talking about a couple of them today. After the break, I'll be speaking with Michelle Carrera of Chilies on Wheels. This is a wonderful organization that feeds the homeless and the hungry with plant-based And we're going to open the program today by speaking with Angela Grimes. We're going to be talking about trophy hunting and about primates and about wildlife in the wild and that they really deserve to be in the wild. Angela Grimes is acting CEO of Born Free USA, joining the organization in 2010, most recently serving as their director of development and operations, Before that, she was executive director and CEO of Wildlife Rescue and Rehabilitation, a wildlife sanctuary and rescue center in Texas. And she served on the chairman of the board of directors of Mindy's Memory Primate Sanctuary. Welcome, Angela. Hello, Victoria. It's a pleasure to be here and talk with you. It is wonderful to talk with you as well. When your publicist contacted me originally, this was a few months ago because we kind of book out in advance. And she said, do you want to talk about trophy hunting in the light of some terrible trophy hunting thing that had been in the news? And, you know, in the time since she wrote to me about that, there have been several others. Can we just jump in with that? What is the thing that it seems like more people than ever. Maybe it's not more. People just want to go out and take the life of some majestic, wild creature. Fill us in. Yes, it's
2: a terribly sad thing that people, for nothing more than the sake of vanity and self-pride, want to go out and, and kill an animal and bring back their head or their, their hides Ah, uh, to hang on their walls or put on their the ground in 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 their homes, uh, just to have it displayed. And in the meantime, animals have lost their lives for no, no purpose and no reason. Uh, and this is something that's been going on for for ages. I don't think that it's something that's been, you know, heightened in terms of activity, but it's certainly become much more in the public eye after uh, Cecil the lion was killed a couple of years ago. That made international headlines, and it really brought this issue to the public's attention, and people were outraged about it for good reason.
1: Well, it's one of those things that most people don't even think about, and those people who might think about it or even find it appealing don't have the means to do it. So it's almost to me like the the, the wildlife version of foie gras, which is such a terrible, cruel, awful food. Most people never eat it, but it's still the sort of thing that just should not exist on this planet exactly it's a status
2: symbol it's something that people with the means can go out and do it's not something that the public you know general public can do you're talking about somebody paying $50,000 or more for the opportunity to kill a lion or kill a giraffe and and take that animal home as a trophy And the apologists for this, the pro-trophy hunting people, will tell you that that benefits the local societies and that that money stays there in the country to help people in that country. And that's simply not true. Studies have shown that only about 2% of that $50,000 actually would stay in that country. It's going into the hands of businessmen and into their pockets.
1: That's an oft-told tale. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Isn't it? What do you see from your vantage point of having been in the wildlife world for such a long time? We're enlightening, I think, in so many ways. And so many people are saying, oh, wait a minute, maybe I've done this all my life, but I just need to be doing something different. And yet it seems that in this particular area, the change is happening awfully slowly. Why do you think that is?
2: I, I think that change often happens slowly, and there are times that are pivotal moments that help catalyze that change. And for example, with trophy hunting, the the story of Cecil, we're seeing major change in fur for fashion. This is no longer acceptable in within the general public opinion, and you're seeing one major city after another and one major fashion designer after another going for free. We see this in the vegan and vegetarian movement. It wasn't 10, 15 years ago when the only option on a a restaurant menu might have been pasta primavera. Now we have a Page or more, many offerings in restaurants. And it's something that it takes time. It takes incremental change. But once you get to that tipping point, things can start to move more quickly. And I think we're really seeing
1: that in the animal welfare movement at large. Yeah, I think so, too. It's very exciting. So I know I jumped right into this issue because I find it such a fascinating issue and so important. And yet I always like to have my guests tell my listeners a little bit about themselves. How did you go from being a regular kid somewhere to being a champion for wildlife? Oh, that's a a great question. I grew up in Iowa. Uh,
2: There weren't very many uh, vegans or vegetarians around where, where I grew up. Uh, But I always had a concern for animals. I, I was one who would go out and bring in my dad's hunting dog. And yes, my father was a hunter. In the middle of winter, he lived outside and I would sneak out in the middle of the night and bring him in and cuddle up with him in the basement to keep him away from the cold. I became aware about animal issues and could really cognitively identify the connection between the animals and the food that was on my plate, and, and that was no longer appealing to me when I realized that there was a life behind the food that was being presented to me and that I could live a perfectly healthy and good life without taking another's life in the process. And I'd worked many years in nonprofit organizations, and I finally came to the realization that what I wanted to do was dedicate the skills and the knowledge and the professional experience I had to this movement and to making the world a better place for animals.
1: Oh, what a sweet story. So talk with us a little bit about uh, what you're doing now with Born Free USA and this concept of compassionate conservation. Compassionate
2: conservation is the concept that wildlife conservation doesn't need to focus solely on species survival or specimens as folks in the conservation movement might often talk about. It's not just science. It's the the realization and the, the understanding that there are individual animals who suffer. There are there are animals who are orphaned, babies who lose their mothers when an elephant mom is poached for her tusks. There are animals who lose family members and they grieve just like humans do. They suffer loss. And it also looks at the humans who are living in those areas where we are working on wildlife conservation. There are, you know, with human encroachment, moving into animal range areas there's more and more human and wildlife conflict and part of the solution is to deal not just with the animals not just with the species but to support the people and find solutions that are you know a holistic 360 degree view.
1: I love that so you are um, Born Free USA among um, other things is a sanctuary for primates which to me sounds like heaven, you know, if somebody said, okay, you get to check in behind the pearly gates or go to a primate sanctuary, the primate sanctuary would win. (laughs) Tell us about what you have going on down there. I have to say, I feel the same way as,
2: and I believe that our staff and our director down there would say the exact same thing. It is a beautiful place. It's, it's a beautiful place in terms of just the, the area. It's a lovely location in South Texas and it's home more than 500 monkeys and these animals have come out of situations like laboratory research they've been kept pets, uh, they've been exploited in, say, roadside attractions. Uh, and these animals, when they are rescued and when we have the opportunity to bring them into our sanctuary, it is truly that—it's a sanctuary. It is their home. They're not placed on display. We don't put them, you know, out for educational purposes. It is simply their home when they live in natural enclosures with trees to climb, large open spaces including our our largest enclosure that is 56 acres and you can't even appreciate how large that is unless you look at some of the drone footage that we have flying over it is i can i can't even remember how many football fields but I do know a statistic that it's larger than the Vatican uh, Vatican city it's larger than the smallest country in the world wow yes and the other thing that's just truly beautiful and heartwarming about it is is the animals and and their faces seeing them? An animal who has come in, who's been injured, who's been exploited, uh, an animal who's been kept in a cage, you know, a dog crate. Imagine a monkey. Kept in a dog crate for years, never had a tree to climb, nothing to do but sit on the ground in a dark basement. The moment that animal touches grass and feels sunshine and feels a breeze on his face, it's you can see the relief. You can see a tentative joy, but a joy and, and almost a relaxation that they know they're safe
1: with us. Oh, <laughs> That that gives me more than chills, more than goose flesh. And I think uh, you know, all animals, in my view, are so incredibly important. My favorite quotation is from the Jane Saint Mahavira, who said, to every creature, his own life is very dear. And yet, as a human, as a primate myself, the sensibility that I have for other primates is just so heightened because that's really me you know that's a step away and and that's us you know with the hands and and the faces so just um tell us a story or two about some of these wonderful residents that you have at Born Free USA
2: Uh, Yes, we have Mikey, who is a young Vervet. He was kept as a pet, and he was in Mississippi when we got a call asking for us to take him in. The family that he had could no longer care for him, which, which often happens when somebody as a primate as a baby and they grow up and they they start to reach a certain age and they start to act out and, and primates have teeth and they're quite strong. Even though they're smaller than us, they, they have quite a bit of strength. So our CEO at the time and one of our staff members drove down to Mississippi and they picked him up in Mississippi and drove him all the way to South Texas. It was an overnight trip. And little Mikey was displaying what we call stereotypies and those are behaviors such as biting your own arm swinging your arm back and forth uh, doing physical manifestations of just your inner frustration you know your his his mind was so stressed and so frustrated that he had no other way to to handle that but to act out physically he came down to us and and just being in that space and and being in the open and having quality care he calmed down a little bit we introduced him to another young vervet teddy and they became quick friends so mikey is now about three years old i believe and he lives outside he has his buddy teddy he has another buddy who is a Boof and Charles the two of them they are old vervets who really have shown them the way of how to be a monkey because that's one thing Mikey had to learn he had to learn how to be a monkey again and now they're outside you see them playing you see them acting like monkeys should act not in a you know a, a way of of stress and and stereotypes he's just he's happy He is living as free as he can possibly be at this point. Of course, he could never be released back to the wild, but we are giving them the best possible home for the rest of his life.
1: Oh, what a beautiful story. So when you talk about a vervet, I don't know what a vervet is, so maybe you can tell us that, but also within the primate world of of these beings who are living at your sanctuary, how species-specific is it? Is there cross Friendship or are they pretty much, no, I'm a vervet and I don't hang out with other monkeys? Educate us in the monkey world.
2: We have a few different species at our sanctuary. They are all old world species, which mean that they come from Africa and Asia. Uh, Monkeys who live in Central and South America are called new world species. And we have the old world species. So we have vervets. Uh, they are native to Africa. We also have baboons, a few different species of baboons, and we have several species of macaques. And macaques are often used in laboratory research uh, simply because they're quite hardy and they can withstand uh, a lot of, of physical abuse, I, I have to say. Um, and it's kind of sad. They're, they're so strong and hardy that that's why that they are used in, in, in a lot of research. So we have, of the 500 monkeys, the majority of them are macaques. Uh, and, and then a large portion of them are snow monkeys or Japanese macaques who are native to Japan.
1: So, if you put macaques and vervets together, would they get along? Would they fight? Would they just not know what to do with one another? How would that work?
2: No, we we do keep them in groups of their own species. So, while we might have, say, a pigtail macaque with a longtail macaque, um, we would not put a macaque with a baboon or with a vervet. Uh, they're simply different animals, I and see.
1: yes, <laughs> fascinating. So. What you're doing there in Texas just sounds absolutely heavenly, but I know you're also working on a global scale to protect primates and and other beings. Tell us about that. Yes,
2: we have sanctuaries not only in Texas, our primate sanctuary, but the Global Born Free Family has a sanctuary in Ethiopia that is home to lions, primates, tortoises, birds, other animals who have been rescued. We also have sanctuaries in South Africa for big cats, and we have a sanctuary in India for tigers. And the the tiger uh, program in India really is one of those that espouses that that compassionate conservation and, and holistic view. We offer programs with doctors who go out to villages and, and service the medical needs of people living in critical tiger habitat. We help with clean water and education and supporting school groups and environmental groups. Uh, it's really a wonderful program that that addresses all of those needs. It addresses the individual animals, it addresses species conservation and their habitat, and it works with the people who are living in the tigers area as well.
1: Mm, That's wonderful. So tell me about the overall view today of of wildlife. I've been introduced to a concept that as the human population has expanded and our livestock population has expanded so much more that just by sheer weight, humans and domesticated animals are just taking up the planet and the wildlife has really been encroached upon in ways that I think most of us can't comprehend. So what's the prognosis? What, what can happen to save these wonderful beings as individuals and as species? Human encroachment on wildlife habitat is a very large problem.
2: And and it's something that needs to be addressed in terms of creating wildlife corridors so that different herds and groups will be able to mingle and interbreed. Uh, it's about protecting the remaining habitat. But again, I still come back to that that means working with and and assisting the individuals in that habitat area the solution doesn't involve a simple humans stay away we've come beyond that point what we need to do is look at the the habitat that is remaining people who need to function within that and and how do we make that system work for the animals that we have the other issues that that involve food production are things like cocoa industry the sugar industry and and certainly palm oil that is you know that is destroying wildlife habitat at alarming rates and those are things that we can we can make our decisions and make our voices known with our consumer dollars and our advocacy advocacy
1: absolutely now how does it work for you angela and your colleagues who have this beautiful, compassionate conservation message, when you're trying to talk with what I think of as a regular conservationist, do they listen politely and then go do whatever they do? Or do they tell you to their face that they think you're a bleeding heart? I don't think so. The conversations I've had, you know, are, are quite productive.
2: And, we are all in this together. We have the same goals. We want to protect species. So whether and, and animals, so whether you're talking about an entire species, you're talking about individuals, you're talking about one group in one national park in you know in Rwanda, you we're all working towards that same goal. And the more that we work together and the more that we talk to each other, the easier it's going to be for all of us to achieve those goals.
1: Oh, that's lovely. If you weren't working for animals, you could go into politics. Uh, (laughs) So uh, tell us about what we can do. Sometimes it seems that the wildlife that we think of as being so lofty, you know, the tigers and the the old world primates are not animals that we see every day. So what can we do in our own lives to help the situation?
2: one of the the best ways to help wildlife is to simply learn about them and appreciate who they are in their native habitat i mean one of the wonderful things that the internet has brought is the ability to 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 view videos. I mean, there are beautiful documentaries available that show animals where they belong, behaving naturally, and to teach our children that that's who wild animals are. They're not the ones that you see in zoos. And I would say, you know, as a not to do would be don't frequent zoos and places that have touched. Tanks or other experiences where you can handle wildlife—that's simply not their nature. So support them in their 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 wild habitat and and view them in nature and in a respectful way. And teaching the next generation of of activists and conservationists is the most critical factor to their survival.
1: Mm. So what can we do to help you? I know that you're doing a, a big revamp and expansion on the Texas uh, Primate Sanctuary. How can we get in touch and be supportive? We
2: would love for everyone to visit our website at bornfreeusa.org. Uh, there you can see the, the many monkeys that we have and, and read their stories and learn more about the facility and, and all the animals that we care for. And yes, we are hoping to do a, an expansion of our veterinary clinic. So help us spread the word. And, and if somebody would like to make a donation to help us with that, you can do that on our website.
1: Oh, how wonderful. I feel like if I were a young person and did better at science and math than I actually did in my own school days, I would want to be a primate veterinarian and come and work for you. So. It's, it's just I'm, I'm so impressed with what you're doing it's just so lovely to to get to hear you so just in our last minute I know that there are some people who watch old movies and some people who are old enough that they saw the Born Free movie back when it was new so just give us the connection between that classic film and what you're doing now Yes, our founder, one of our founders is Virginia
2: McKenna, who starred in that film and played Joy Adamson. Uh, and it was because of that film and the experience that they had working with the, the lion cubs, it's, that's how Born Free, the organization, grew. It was that awareness and that wonderful, well, and sometimes not so wonderful experience uh, working with animals in captivity. So we owe a lot to the Adamson's and to Virginia McKenna and Bill Travers
1: what a beautiful story and what wonderful work you're doing thank you so much for joining us today everybody it's bornfreeusa.org and bornfreeusa on facebook twitter and instagram and we'll put all of those urls on our show notes at mainstreetvegan.net so from going to from helping our closest relatives to helping our fellow humans. Stay with us. We've got more right after this.
0: Discover the power within. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. As Unity Online Radio continues to expand its programming and outreach around the world, we depend on the generosity of listeners like you. If you enjoy the programming, please make your donation today by going to unityonlineradio.org and click on Donate. Thank you for your support. Here's a Unity Teachable Moment with Reverend Ogan Holder, taken from a talk at Unity on the River in Amesbury,
3: Massachusetts.
0: Vulnerability is very uncomfortable. But as we know from so many teachings by so many people and from our own experience, the only way
2: we will ever experience true connection is to be vulnerable, to be open. And to say. what we say to ourselves, but when we're vulnerable, we risk being hurt. Well, you only risk being hurt Again, if you don't get a full understanding of how love works, nothing and no one can hurt you. Nothing and no one is against you. And everything that happens in your life, as I always say, and I will always say, so if I keep saying it and you keep hearing it and you get tired of me
0: hearing it, I apologize. But everything happens in our life as an opportunity for us to show up as God. To find a Unity Church near you, visit unity.org. Join Travel with Unity 2020 for a transformational trip to Rome and the Amalfi Coast, March 26th to April 4th, and explore the culture, myths, and spiritual significance of Southern Italy. You'll experience the history of the ancient ruins of Pompeii, visit the Vatican, and spend time on the beautiful Amalfi Coast during this 10-day tour. Just 40 seats are available and space is limited, so reserve your trip before September 15th. Go to unity.org travel for more information today.
3: Discover the path to wealth with May McCarthy, May 17th to 19th at the Art of Living Retreat Center in the beautiful Blue Ridge Mountains of North Carolina. May will share her seven-step daily practice to achieve goals in every area of your life, including your finances, career, and relationships. A best-selling author, angel investor, and entrepreneur, May has been building highly successful businesses for over 35 years. You can achieve your dreams. Go to artoflivingretreatcenter.org to find out more. Stretch your mind and open your heart every Thursday at 10 a.m. Central with Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien and the Yoga Hour, Living the Eternal Way. Gain insights into spiritual principles that touch upon the most practical aspects of our lives, like work, relationships, health, and diet. Discover time-tested practices from the ancient system of Kriya Yoga, a philosophy for living a more fulfilled life in today's hectic world. Only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Call
0: now with your question or comment. 816-251-3555. That's 816-251-3555. Welcome back to Main Street Vegan with your host, Victoria Moran
1: everybody. Welcome back to the program. What a pleasure to have you all with us today. A few announcements before we go forward. The blog this week at MainStreetVegan.net. Oh, it's so lovely for anybody who loves Paris or dreams of Paris. It's called A Vegan Tourist in Paris. And that comes from Laura Beck. She's a vegan lifestyle coach and educator. And she's also your vegan mentor online. And oh my gosh, reading this just made me want to go to Paris. And maybe I will because I am going to London for the UK premiere of A Prayer for Compassion. And if you want to see everywhere around the world that we're having screenings of the beautiful new film, A Prayer for Compassion, which is to interest people who identify as religious or spiritual in vegan living, you can just go to MainStreetVegan.net and click on film and read all about that. And if you would like to host a screening in your area, you can do that at absolutely no cost to yourself. There are a couple of ways to do that. And you can contact me through MainStreetVegan.net and find out about how you can see this wonderful documentary on the big screen before we go digital in the fall. I really, really hope you want to. I'm so excited that there are going to be some groups, religious groups, spiritual groups, that are going to catch on to veganism, and they're going to so push it forward. When we look at liberation movements of the past, there were uh, religious people and people on spiritual paths who were at the center of that. And it's time for that to happen again in veganism, and I think it's starting to happen now. Things are looking Very, very hopeful uh, from where I sit this springtime. And one of the people who is making things look more hopeful every day is our next guest, Michelle Carrera. Michelle is a queer Puerto Rican vegan food justice activist. She founded Chili's on Wheels in 2014 making veganism accessible to communities in need, and the Casa Vegana de la Comunidad in Puerto Rico in 2018, a vegan sustainability house which also hosts a micro-sanctuary. She's on the board of directors of the Micro Sanctuary Research Center and she's an unschooling vegan parent. And we're going to talk about that because I was an unschooling vegan parent uh, for 12 years and really celebrate that choice. Welcome, Maria. Michelle. Hi. I'm sorry. Yes. Thanks. Thanks for having me on the show. I guess I was, I was thinking of a great mother, and Maria came oh. out. <laughs> Hey, Michelle. Welcome to the program, and thank you so much for all that you do. Why don't you tell us a little bit of your vegan story first, and then we'll move on to Chili's on Wheels.
4: Oh, sure. So um, I went vegan 19 years ago. Uh, my sister got a little chick for Easter who grew into a lovely rooster. And, um, I, you know, I just saw the person behind him. I just saw the person in him, and um, I had to stop eating meat right away. Um, within a couple of weeks, I learned all about veganism and, um, yeah, went vegan right away. And it's
1: been 19 years. So what do you think it is about you that you managed to do it right away? I think so many people take a long time. I I went quickly vegetarian and slowly vegan, not proud of that. Glad it did happen. So Mm -hmm. why do you think you were extra open? Um, I think that uh,
4: because I had made that emotional connection with, uh, with a victim of animal agriculture, so I saw, um, you know, I was deeply invested in, in, in the animal behind it. And so as soon as I heard, as soon as I read um, about dairy and eggs, um, it just, it was a no-brainer. I'm already doing this for him, so I might as well just stop everything. You know, it was still early enough in my transition where I didn't,
1: I just felt, well, if I'm doing this, let me just go all in. Mm, Good for you. I think that that's the role maybe that sanctuaries play when people can visit farmed animal sanctuaries and see who these, these people are, these people who happen to not be human people.
4: Yeah, absolutely. And I think that uh, micro sanctuaries also play that role because um, you're able to have that in your home when you have uh, typically farmed animals in your home and you get, you know, visitors and things, um, people might, might not actually expect to see a chicken there and then get to meet them. And, and so that, um, that also plays that emotional connection is is crucial, I think.
1: Well, tell us what that is. I'm not familiar with the concept of micro sanctuary, but maybe I have one because a pigeon lives with me who is handicapped and can't live outside. (laughs) Yeah. So
4: micro sanctuaries is, um, um, you know, the thought that anyone at any given point can, um, can offer refuge to a typically farmed animal or an animal that's not typically considered a companion animal. So definitely in your case, a pigeon, you know, that qualifies as a As a micro sanctuary, because they're not typically companion animals, not a dog or a cat or a parakeet. Um, And, yeah, it can be as small as one and and as big as, you know, there's no actual number, but like 20 animals or so. Um, And it just it just becomes what you can do with the space that you have available.
1: Yes. In your home. Yeah. With the resources you already have. What a wonderful concept, as is Chili's on Wheels. So tell us how you came up with that. Sure. So uh, I was in 2014, Thanksgiving of 2014, and
4: I was looking for a soup kitchen to volunteer in with my son, who was four at the time. And um, I was living in New York, and I could not find one. There was no, there still is no vegan soup kitchen. Um, and so I decided, well, let me just make the meals myself. And, um, you know, with my little pots in my tiny kitchen, I made a couple of meals, 15 meals, and we took them out in the street. Um, and just the response, was so overwhelming and to see the need was so overwhelming, um, that I just decided I have to do this more often. Like just, just this one time for Thanksgiving is not enough. I have to figure out a way to do more. And so from there, it's just grown. Now we have like 14 chapters across the country, a community house in Puerto Rico, and, uh, we just keep growing.
1: Oh, that is so wonderful. So what would you recommend that people do if they're in the areas where a Chili's on Wheels exists that they connect with you? Or if there's nothing there? Do they connect with you about coming to where they are? Do they start their own? How does somebody get involved with this?
4: Yeah, so definitely we have, you can check our website, chilizanwheels.org, and we have a list of all the chapters um, in all the cities that we're in. And definitely if there's one that exists near you, um, you're welcome to join them. There's a uh, message opportunity there uh, through the website. And if not, we have a whole section on how to start your own uh, chapter, and we have a guide to uh, lead you through that process. Um, And absolutely, if you get a couple of people committed to making this work, we can
1: definitely help you do that. That is really exciting. And I think a lot of people are thinking, oh, my goodness, that sounds like a lot of paperwork and the government is going to want a lot of information. Maybe I'll do something else. What do you say before they go off and do something else?
4: Uh, well, we have, because we, are, uh, we serve as an umbrella organization, so we'll actually take care of uh, most of that paperwork for you. Um, so we make it pretty easy for existing chapters, for, for new chapters to emerge. Um, and we provide you with the resources that you need, uh, to set it up and, and get it
1: going. That is so cool. So what's the most important part to you in, in doing this work and in reaching out to people in need and keeping it vegan?
4: Um, well, definitely the, the vegan part of it, right. Um, because there are a number of programs that, um, serve meals to people in need, but there, there really wasn't something, um, that did this from a vegan perspective, um, that, that looked at, um, also within our own communities. So it it became sort of, um, within your own community reaching out. And so what that does is that empowers people to actually change their eating habits, um, because it's coming from someone that's just like you. And and if you see that someone just like you is able to do it, then you're more likely to do it yourself. Mm. Um, and just the networks of support, you know, we, we become we start the vegan meal is like the introduction and we get people together. But then we, we empower our communities and we become systems of support for one another. Um, sometimes that's meant people that are in need of housing, trying to get them housing resources or um, trying to get them items that they might need. Or um, if they're already in a house and they need help with groceries or how to learn how to grocery shop um you know through uh, food stamps or something like that will help you figure it out so we we provide that kind of support to communities
1: that is so wonderful and i know you talk about that there are lots of other programs out there and yet there's something that happens with vegan food there there's almost a spiritual uplift in addition to the nutritional a resource. I was talking to a gentleman the other night who has become vegan over the past few years and he happens to be someone with a great deal of means who didn't think he could do it probably because he has a great deal of means but now that he's done it he talked about this feeling of, of empathy and and understanding and comradeship with everybody who's suffering, everybody in need now that he's no longer taking that suffering of the animals into his body. And it seems to me, and correct me if I'm wrong, that in what you're doing with people who are having some difficulties, perhaps you know, even getting uh, enough food right now, you're giving them not only that physical response, but you're giving them this wonderful gift of, of vegan food.
4: Yeah, absolutely. And people, um, people tell us that all the time, that because we're, um, that they feel extra taken care of, that they feel that they matter um, once they start receiving, once they see that what they're receiving is not leftover food or it's not trashy food, junk food, but that it's healthy and nutritious food that is prepared with care and with love. And they feel like, like that, just that uplifts them and makes them feel um, worthy. You know, and that kind of changes your whole outlook on things, right? Once people have fallen on hard times, um, that aspect of self-worth is so important um, and, and can take a hit. So when you feel that people are caring for you in in a very compassionate way, in compassion with other beings as well, um, they can definitely feel that kind of empower and that push to, you know, to become better. Yeah.
1: That is so beautiful. Now, one of the arguments I probably get three or four times a week is, but being vegan is so expensive. That's an elitist thing. And I mean, the the poorest I ever was in my life, I was a single mom living in the Ozarks. And there were a couple of years there where, you know, (laughs) I just didn't have a lot of money. And yet it it never even occurred to me, oh, well, you shouldn't be vegan because it, it was cheap and yet mm-hmm. now there's this this other way of looking at it that it's so expensive so could you respond to that and then also tell us about the low income vegan education program sure so um so definitely
4: it doesn't have to be expensive but um but we are not trained we're most people are not trained to see food in the way that um, that perhaps someone that's been vegan for a long time sees it. Right. So um, there needs to be a kind of reframing of what food is and what food can be and what food um, that is inexpensive um, can make a full meal and a delicious meal. Um, and so it becomes really a, like a re rethinking of what food is, but it does not absolutely have to be expensive at all. Um, and so we have the, the, um, the L.I.V.E. program, Low Income Vegan Education Program. We have a uh, online mentorship. People can uh, sign up. Um, you get a 21-day meal plan uh, with inexpensive um, items. Uh, and you get matched to someone with your same socioeconomic background um, that can serve as a mentor. Again, because it's so important to talk to people that are um, just like us, and are making this work because they're really the ones that can help you the most in seeing how you can make it work. Um, so that's that's our low-income vegan education program, and it's online on chilizonwheels.org.
1: Oh, that is so great! That is, I'm going to be telling everybody who asked me that question. So thank you very much. I think I think I've said beans and rice and vegetables and season too many times. I'm going to give them your website instead. So now tell right. us about Puerto Rico. I mean, the things that I have heard just on the vegan grapevine of what you guys are doing there, what you did around the hurricane time, and since then, it's just been glowing. So so tell us, oh, yes. give us an update. Yeah, so uh, eight days after the hurricane, we
4: went down to Puerto Rico and um, offered, started offering vegan food relief. We were cooking in um, parking lots, and you know, there was no power, and it was in the midst of the disaster, but we managed to give out 15,000 meals within that first month. Um, after the hurricane. And then from there, uh, people were so curious about, um, how to be vegan when we would come with a vegan meals that, uh, an idea for a permanent community center, um, can, you know, came to us. And so, uh, we opened that up, uh, in March of 2017, uh, of 2018, sorry. And, um, it's a space where we hold weekly workshops. Um, we, um, just have people come over, it's a community space, people learn how to go vegan, we have a kids workshops um, every month, um, so that it's really a, a learning uh, support for people that want to go vegan. And we continue to do the, yeah, we continue to do the meal shares three times a week, um, we go to community houses, community spaces.
1: You yeah. amaze me. There's so many people have good ideas, but it really takes somebody special to take the idea and, and put the, the matter beneath it and, and make it work. And you're doing that so, so beautifully. So let's just move because I love this topic so much <laughs> to you and your life as an unschooling vegan parent. And first give us the definition. Cause I know there are probably people thinking what, no school.
4: <laughs> right. So, uh, unschooling, um, to me, um, you know, it's all about freedom. And again, more, most of my life has been all about freedom, right? Freedom for the animals that we're suffering. Veganism is like my first identity, and from there spans everything else, all my liberation work. And unschooling is about um, the freedom of of children to decide their own life, right? To decide what to learn. Um, so, so it's interest based, um, and um, and just in general, what clothes that they want to wear, how they want to wear their hair, like that's they are individuals that are choosing, that are growing up and choosing who they are in the world, um, guided, of course, by, you know, by morals of, of justice and compassion and all that, but really um, just them having um, autonomy over themselves and what they learn and what they want to accomplish and be in the world.
1: So tell us about your son. Tell us about his veganism and, and what are these kinds of uh, areas of learning that he's attracted to? Yeah. So, um, you
4: know, so we've started, we were active, we've always been activists. And so justice is a big part of, of who he is and, and going to protests and activities and, um, and, you know, joining along and doing all these meals and on all these uh, food relief projects that we do. Um, he's also drawn to like technology. Um, he loves video games, of course. And, um, he loves theater and acting so, these are just things um, that he's attracted to he's his hair is bright pink. he loves to wear his bright pink hair um, and yeah he's a he's a very compassionate, very fair minded justice minded person
1: oh, and how old is he? <laughs> he's now eight. Oh, such a great age. Well, you're bringing back so many wonderful memories for me because I know when we first learned about unschooling. Made so much sense knowing who my daughter was, but I think now maybe had I known other children, it would have made sense in a more general way because they all know where they're headed. And my daughter always loved theater and she was in theater. And I remember she was, I think, nine when she saw Les Mis, the musical. And then she checked out Les Miserables from the library. And I remember trying to get through that at 17. And she just ate it up at 9 because it was her interest. And nobody was telling her to read it. So I think it's such yeah. an education for parents, too.
4: Oh, absolutely. Um, so we we have been talking about, you know, our, our ancestry and our ancestors. I'm from Puerto Rico. And, and uh, we've been talking about um, just kind of the, the baseline for everything. And he was so enthralled by that, um, that he, he picked up the Popol Vuh, which is a, um, it's an, um, a Mayan, um, book that I didn't have to read till college, you know, um, for my comparative literature classes. And he picked it up at like seven. So it's, it's absolutely, uh, amazing like where their interest takes them absolutely
1: mm. and have you had any flack either for the unschooling or for the veganism from a family or authority figures or others
4: um you know there's always pushback I think people when they don't understand a concept or it goes outside of what people are used to um there's definitely there's definitely pushback from family and stuff like why is he not in school and and why is his hair pink you know and <laughs> but, um, but ultimately I'm, I'm secure in, 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 that this is the right choice. And so I don't let that, um, get to me too much. Um, you know, and I, I might, I use humor to diffuse the situations a little bit, like, you know, that's just who he is. And, um, and yeah, but people definitely always have an opinion or even the veganism, is he getting it, especially as a baby, is he getting enough protein? Of course, the protein question is everywhere. Right. Um, and you just have to kind of be secure in that you're making the right choices and that you're choosing it for
1: the right reasons as well. Oh, that's you sound like a very secure person <laughs> and a terrific mom. <laughs> oh, thanks. So looking around at at the whole situation of hunger, and I know we're talking about uh, North America and I remember as a new vegan and vegetarian back, you know, in the 70s and, and the 80s, there was so much talk about world hunger and how not eating meat was tied to that. Is there any connection between our food choices and hunger of our neighbors, not just our global neighbors, but our immediate neighbors? Um,
4: definitely our global na- um, neighbors. We ha- we've seen those... Um, those memes and those, those, um, statistics of how, um, you know, the feed that is fed to the animals that goes directly to people could feed people three times over. Um, but definitely within our, our country, we see that, uh, people are eating, um, really foods that are not, um, not not nourishing their bodies, and so they're continue being hungry, because it's not filling when you're just eating junk, your body's not getting what it needs. And so there's this chronic kind of, um, you know, it leads to disease, leads to other things, and people are not, um, you know, not being uh, nourished in the right way, because what they're eating is not, um, is, is not what they should be eating, <laughs> right? So th- there's definitely that connection.
1: Mm-hmm. And yet it seems from, I've spoken with you, I've spoken with uh, at least one other uh, colleague at Chili's on Wheels, uh, Anthony, who's going to be coming to Main Street Vegan Academy. We're so excited Um, that people who are used to maybe fast food most of the time, eat these meals that you serve them, these hearty whole food vegan meals. And they, they don't just say, well, it's okay. They love them. But so often we hear oh the fast food is addictive people aren't gonna want you know your basic food after that but that has not been your experience what can you tell us yeah no not at all people are very appreciative and
4: people you know there's ways of making vegan meals uh, culturally appropriate there's ways of making uh, vegan meals delicious and and hearty as well um, so we try to go that route we try to we try to um, give the food that is going to, um, that is going to go along with their culture and what they're used to. Um, so yeah, so our, our experience, like for in Puerto Rico, we make traditional Puerto Rican meals for meal shares and people love it. People, a lot of the times can't even tell the difference, um, until we tell them and they're like, wow, that, that, that's amazing. So, um, so yeah, so that our experience is that people generally love, um, the food that we give them, oh, the vegan awesome. food.
1: Uh, yeah. <laughs> it, another vegan myth, Michelle, that vegans only care about animals and don't care about people, and obviously your very life uh, denies mm-hmm. that, but how can we answer that one? Well, you'll see that there's people
4: that you know, you can care about more than one thing at once and everything is connected. Uh when you see that that um the food that we eat is connected to justice, um is is connected to worker justice in all these, um, you know, slaughterhouses and farming work. Uh, it's connected to our health. It's connected to an environment. So, um, you know, there's that, that myth then gets um, gets cancelled because because it's connected to everything already. So, and you know, we have programs like Chili's on Wheels that is is trying to work on multiple areas at the same time. Uh, Food Empowerment Project is another one in the in the West Coast. So we definitely have um, people that are are doing the work. So that's just a myth,
1: denied. <laughs> one one down, and yes. a few to go. So in in our last few minutes here, can you just give me your vision, your vision for the future? What is the world going to look like if all things go well ten years from today?
4: Uh, Well, definitely, I think that veganism is on the rise. And I'm hoping that veganism will be the way and the way that we eat. Um, We definitely have to take the steps to do that because our environment is depending on it. We have, I think, about 11 years uh, was the last report for our Earth to be sustainable, to to be able to to make that shift. Um, And I uh, really hope that people take care of each other um, that people step up in their own communities to help one another. Um, and so I'm hoping that that's, that that's what that looks like.
1: And I'm hoping that you are right. <laughs> and with enough people <laughs> like you and doing the things that you're doing, you absolutely will be. So tell us your favorite Chili's on meals recipe. What gets the greatest raves hands down? Oh, mac and cheese. <laughs> mac and cheese gets it going.
4: Um, we have some, some, people in the New York chapter who, who will come every day, every week and say, is this mac, is this mac and cheese, mac and cheese? He loves it. Um, I think that gets the best reaction and it's really just turmeric, almond milk and, um, you know, and pasta. So it's, it's amazing. And nooch, So four yeah. ingredients, four ingredients. And, and it it makes for the best meal
1: that people crave for. That's wonderful. That's what we did for Easter. We had um, three human guests, five dogs, and uh, (laughs) macaroni and cheese. And yeah, it's so simple and everybody loves it. Maybe that's the way that people can start being more loving towards vegans and not just thinking of us as being angry and judgmental. Mac and cheese for all, a mac and (laughs) cheese in every pot. That's right. Well, thank you so very much for all that you do in the world, for being on the program. Everybody keep up with Michelle and their wonderful work, chiliesonwheels.org. and uh, plan to be with us again next week when we're going to be talking about non-waste cooking and uh, also talking with a guy with a food truck. To everybody, thank you so much for listening. God bless you. Eat your veggies. Thanks for listening.
0: This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world.
3: Do you want to deepen your connection to the divine, speed up your progress on the spiritual path, then tune in to the Spirit Matters Podcast. I'm the host, Philip Goldberg